Welcome to the Mets pod. On today's show, we look at the future of third base for the Mets as Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio start off hot in spring training. Speaking of Port St. Lucie, we have storylines. And what better way to test out the pitch clock than giving it a shot on the podcast? That's right. We will put Joe on the pitch clock and I will be involved as well. As always, we close out the show answering your mailbag questions. So subscribe to the Mets pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mets Pod. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And baseball's back. We've been waiting. Yes, the spring training games, they don't count uh, in the standings, but they definitely count in our hearts. And we have storylines across the board here, Joe. It's been a lot of fun to watch the Mets in any kind of baseball action. And let's be real. They've given us a lot to work with, Joe. Not only did it coincide with Manny Machado after all that opt-out talk, he ends up signing a monster, monster extension with the Padres, was already in the rumor mill as a future Mets free agent target. But then some Mets prospects, Brett Beatty, who we've known about for a while, Ronnie Mauricio, who we've known about since they signed him in the international signing period years ago, uh, who might be moving over to a corner. It's just crazy when you look at the start both of them have gotten off to as the Mets long term do have some questions at third base. So now that spring training is underway, Joe, what have been your initial initial early thoughts here? It's to me about the young guys, mostly right. Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio, who you mentioned, uh, obviously are hitting the ball. Mauricio, 450 feet, which crazy enough in double A this year, he hit a ball. 52 more feet because he had a 507 foot home run against Somerset this summer. Uh, and Brett Beatty, of course, is just come in and doing his thing, hit a home run in the first game. seems like he's getting a hit every time he's there. So now last week we had the debate, Manny Machado versus Brett Beatty long-term. Is the conversation going to switch to Brett Beatty versus Ronnie Mauricio long-term at third base? And I'll tell you when I, what I put out for the mailbag this week, I can't say I ever expected to put out for mailbag questions and expect that there'd be a litter of Ronnie Mauricio questions. And it's it's just a great thing to see. Yeah, it's a really big turn of events. I think when you go back to the Mauricio timeline, which, Joe, you're more familiar with than anybody, he was a prized international signing at the time. He was one of those guys that got that big bonus, signed as a young player really a a lanky kind of guy. It felt like for years he was under 180 pounds. And now he's somebody that as he's gotten older, he's filled out. He's definitely been a prospect, but that feels like it can be all or nothing at times. We know his highs are significant pop for an infielder. We know that pitch selection and the ability to draw walks or draw counts has been a question as well, Joe. And I'd love to hear you talk more about that, but it's funny how, Mauricio was surpassed so many times by different prospects, whether it was Beatty, of course, Alvarez uh, in the mix as well. And Mauricio, after an okay year last year, especially in the home run department, has a monster fall and comes into spring ready to go. When, to be honest with you, Joe, nobody had any expectations for Ronnie Mauricio in this spring training. All eyes have been on Francisco Alvarez. Can he make the team? Brett Beatty, can he make the team? Even Mark Vientos, more so than Ronnie Mauricio. So, There is no denying that this kind of star, and when you do it with a little sizzle, I think it's different. If Ronnie Mauricio was five for nine and it was all singles or maybe a single and a double, everybody would be like, okay, 
when you're hitting moonshots that has everybody running into the woods in spring training, it feels like it kind of changes the perception. It's it really does. And I think it it adds some juice and the power's there. We know that. And he always had power in his bat. He just, like you said, physically wasn't there. He weighed 175 pounds, he weighed 180 pounds. Now he's probably upwards of I don't even know what he's listed at now, but he looks like a full grown man now, whatever that's 215, whatever the case may be. Uh, he's now showing that power in game, hit 26 home runs with double A. Like you said, he needs work on his pitch selectivity and bigger than the home runs in uh, here on Tuesday and Tuesday's game, he drew a walk, which is uh, if you look up his baseball reference page, that is really the breaking news that Rodney Mauricio drew a walk. Uh, I really think he just needs to work on being more selective, not so much for the sake of drawing walks, though drawing walks is great and it'll help his on-base percentage. I want him to be able to put pitchers in a position where they have to give him something to hit so he can truly tap into that power. And if that means he's a lower OBP guy, that's okay. I think uh, he could be perfectly fine without that. And defensively, he had mentioned that you know he knows he has to move off shortstop third base would be what would be most comfortable to, for him. And that's obviously Brett Beatty's position. So I'll be interested to see this spring in AAA. How do they balance that? Is Mauricio playing shortstop most of the time? Or are is he splitting time at third base and shortstop? And does that mean Beatty's playing some left field? Because after this year, you're looking at Marcana as a free agent. Third base is kind of open. So maybe the long term is Beatty and left Mauricio at third or vice versa. So I think Roddy Mauricio, you know, it's just spring training. We're not going to go crazy out spring training stats. We have to see what he does in AAA Syracuse. But I think I think the conversation is going to start to change a little bit if he can take this momentum from spring training into the regular season. Yeah, and we saw last year guys get ambitious call-ups at times, right? We know Beatty had that cup of coffee in AAA, and then it was essentially like, okay, welcome to the big leagues. We we know it was the same as much as the noise around Alvarez was a little louder in terms of a call-up. We know baseball has changed a little bit in a sense where guys can rapidly progress through the system if they are producing. That's just what it comes down to, and there's not more of a timeline on, hey, you need this much time. It's more of a, these are benchmarks you need to hit in terms of production, and watching how Mauricio uses this to maybe get off, if possible, get off to a hot start at the AAA level means that now all of a sudden, Ronnie Mauricio could be in play for the big league club at some point. Yes, that's aggressive. It's ambitious. It's not something that will be a talking point on this podcast every single episode, but it's now at least in the picture here, Joe. And that kind of takes me uh, back to another guy that's gotten off to a really good start that realistically could make the big league club out of spring training. Is it uh, technically unlikely? Maybe, but he has a shot and we expect to see him up at City Field this year. And that is Brett Beatty. And Brett Beatty is often viewed as the long-term third baseman uh, of this team. And even if the Mets went out and got a, a megastar at third base, it was thought Beatty's such a good prospect that you find a way to make that work in a corner outfield spot, some DH time, whatever it may be. So Joe, what have you thought of Beatty? It's Mauricio literally stole some of the thunder, but let's not forget Brett Beatty came into spring ready to roll as well with the hot start. He looks in fantastic shape. Um, he's hitting working counts. Brett Beatty is a complete hitter. Um, he knows he is a good pitch recognition. He's going to hit for average. He hits to all fields. 
he's got the power because he's physically matured as well. And that home run you saw during the first spring training game, I think is uh, a bit of evidence of that. And like you said, he's an athlete. We're going to see long-term where that defensive home is. I think he's going to be fine at third. And I think right now people are reacting to spring games and it's fun. Why not? Uh, but there's no saying Ronnie Mauricio would be any better at third base than Brett Beatty is just because he plays shortstop doesn't mean he'd be a better third baseman. Um, but I'd be very interested to see how they disperse those guys in AAA, assuming that they start in AAA. All right. Other than the youngsters and Mauricio and Beatty, who could be the long-term future at third base or a lot of different other avenues for the Mets show, let's get into some other different spring storylines with this team. And, Yes, it's early. And something we talked about since they did their walk-ins was just seeing Justin Verlander and just seeing the new Mets wear their uniforms. Those are things that excite you. But I think for me, and I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the World Baseball Classic as well, because we know there's going to be a significantly sped up process for these guys to get into spring and get out to the World Baseball Classic. But for me, it just feels like everybody came in completely ready to roll. It feels like there's a different pace this year. You saw Pete Alonso come right out of the gate uh, and look good. You've seen Daniel Vogelback shed some weight. You've seen, we, we know Diaz. We already talked about Diaz's freakish high velocity right out of the gate. Every, Lindor is always in great shape. You never have to question the kind of shape Lindor comes in. You pointed out, Joe. The youngsters have filled out. When you look at Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio, gone are the days that these were kids that were 19 years old, and now they look like grown men, major leaguers. So I think the pacing of the spring training is something that I've enjoyed, where you don't have to keep saying, well, give it a week, give it two weeks, give it three weeks. I think for the most part, this team has looked like they will be ready to roll right away. A lot of that, like you said, is WBC driven, I think, because the Mets have so many people heading there uh, here over the next week, I think, is when they officially head out. And one other thing I want to point out is some of those relievers on the bottom end of the bullpen that we talk about the competition and, you know, everyone's talking about signing Andrew Chafin when he was a free agent or signing Zach Britton. I mean, I love what I've seen from Zach Green, the Rule 5 pick. He has two scoreless innings so far. He's looked good. He had a good sweeping slider today to get a swing and a miss. That impressed me. Um, you know, Jeff Brigham showed some decent stuff. John Curtis was one that I think stood out in a big way. He looks like the kind of guy that posted a mid-three ERA over his couple years prior to Tommy John surgery. So I think the bottom part of the bullpen may not be – quite the problem that we may have perceived it to be you know a month ago and maybe that's why the Mets were so hesitant like you kept saying hey they want guys with options they like some of these developmental arms they have whether it is tapping into the rule five whether it is I mean let's not forget and something we hinted at on the show when it happened and then we we brought it back up again this offseason Curtis is the kind of signing that can be wildly intriguing when you have a lot of money to play with in a sense that you don't need a guy to pitch the entire year he's rehabbing, but you have the rights to him when that rehab is over. And then the thought process is let's get some value on a one-year deal that's really disguised as a two-year deal. So we've waited a long time, and um, that's going to be vital to winning games because we just know this is the era where, listen, starters don't give you seven innings every single night. If, if you get seven, that's big time. And if you're the Mets, yeah, you have David Robertson and Edwin Diaz. Those are really nice luxuries. But the reality of this league is with how many games there are over a very, very quick stretch at times, um, you're going to need guys to eat a lot of innings and go up and down and save arms. So 
that's a great call out, Joe. And honestly, it feels like each spring training, that's always the most important position battle. And and one thing that we have to get into, it's the talk of town. It, it is the pitch clock. It absolutely is the uh, created viral moments for maybe the wrong reasons at times when you have games ending on on batter violations, when you watch the pitchers. Uh, I don't know if you watched, there was you know a couple of different videos going around comparing the pitch clock era to the pacing of the game in the past. So for a little bit of fun on the Mets pod, uh, we are going to put the Mets, uh, the Mets pod on the clock for the pitch clock. And Joe, this is, uh, I feel like this is kind of a, a shot at you in a sense, and I yeah, feel bad for that. 100%. But if you're a longtime listener or even a short-time listener, you could be listening for the last two months of the Mets pod. You know, Joe, because of how detailed and how excellent he is as a co-host, can be long-winded in his answers. And it's something that we appreciate about Joe. So for this, I will team up with a question. Joe has 40 seconds to answer that question completely and logically. He can't just say, uh, I think Pete Alonso hits home runs really far and he's going to have 40 this year. If he goes longer than the 40 seconds, we discuss a penalty in place. It could be something really funny, embarrassing, stupid. We'll have a good time with it. I'm in this too. If I have a follow-up to Joe, I can't just be a caveman here and not respond to him because this is a podcast. I have 30 seconds to follow up. I don't get the full 40. My violations also incur penalties. So Joe... Here we go. Prepare yourself because you're about to be on the clock. You're the first question. Your initial thoughts on the pitch clock league wide, not just in the Mets sphere. Love it. Absolutely love the pitch clock. I think it's uh, one of the better things to happen to the game in some time. And I think the adjustment is going to be more on the hitter side. We saw the hitter that um, wasn't ready. I think there needs to be some clarification there as far as what designates a hitter being ready. But I think trimming the pace of play to two and a half hours on average, give or take is great. And I'm going to be honest. I think the most telling thing when it came to the Mets game was 19 runs were scored in Monday's game. Game still ended up under three hours. So pitch clock, huge win in my book. And I beat 40 seconds. Wow. Joe makes it at the two second mark. You have to really right around the two second area. And I'm I'm going to tell you, that I felt like I gave the shortest answer of my life. This is way harder than I thought it would be. I saw you kind of eyeing it or at least side eyeing it. For me, I'm with you. I like the pacing. I do like the effect it has for the pitchers. It can be infuriating when a hitter and us Mets fans know this. How many timeouts did we see in the playoffs from the Padres or the stepping out, fixing the gloves, kicking the cleats? I mean, listen, it's part of baseball, it's ritual, it's routine, but at the end of the day, it's better at this kind of pacing, and it's just a tweak. It's not overly jarring. So the second one here, Joe, what did you think of Max Scherzer's comments on the pitch clock? Max has been uh, very vocal about the pitch clock. He's put a lot of thought into it, and I think he's somebody that clearly, if you've ever watched one Max Scherzer game in your life, he would have voted for this a long time ago. Max is 100% right. This is going to be a huge change to the game. You know, he talked about it. And strategically, I feel like it's going to be to his advantage. In his first start, you saw him actually kind of draw a timeout from the hitter by holding the ball and drew the timeout. And that means that hitter can't call timeout again for the rest of the at-bat. And Max truly controls uh, the the rest of that at-bat. So I think you're going to see a lot of stuff like that from Max. And if I'm being honest, I think it's uh, I think it's something that he's going to enjoy, not just picking up the pace of play, but also that he's going to have the ability to kind of mess with hitters. Really excited for Max. 
Ooh, that was a sweat there, Joe. I'll let you off the hook, but I think you got it just in time. And, and I'm, I mean, listen, I'm with you all the way. It's, it's going to be exciting to watch Scherzer pitch under that. It's going to be interesting to watch how he uh, uses it to his advantage and strategizes and a lot of different veteran pitchers. And then some veteran pitchers, it'll be fascinating to watch how, like our old friend Chris Bassett, how it changes the way they operate in a game and how much more decisive they are just picking a pitch and throwing it, not making it rocket science to pick between uh, five pitches 80 different times. So the next one here, how do you think Buck Showalter uses the rules essentially uh, to gain a competitive advantage or to take advantage of these new rules? Do you think there's a way that Buck can not manipulate the rules, but is there some kind of Buck strategy in here to gain an edge as we've seen Buck often do? I think there's a Buck strategy for anything. If you give Buck a set of rules, he's going to find the gray area. He's the kind of guy that I would never want in my fantasy football league because you set up the whole rules for the league and he tries to find ways around. And I'm sure he's going to, yeah, I'm sure he's going to find things like Max with, with the pitch clock and try to find pitchers to be able to, you know, manipulate it to force timeouts. Uh, I'm sure when it comes to the shift, he's going to find the way to, make it as close to being able to use the shift as not. And when it comes to uh, picking people off and box and things like that, oh my God, I'm not going to get it in 40 seconds. Oh no. Oh, Violation. No. Yeah, Violation. I have no chance. Folks. You weren't even, you weren't even like halfway to be honest with oh, you. No, I know I where Joe's answers close. are at. I know Joe, when Joe's going long enough, this is how long I've podcasted with him and how many times I've yeah. podcasted with him, whether I can, peek at the rundown, peek at my phone to make sure we got the mailbag questions right. That was one of those times, Joe, I could have taken a chug the whole bottle of water. Yeah, you weren't even close. So there's a violation here. And it's only the first violation. So I will admit it's not as bad. Violation two and three, which uh, for your sake and my sake, hopefully we don't get to. Violation one is fine. You have to reveal one embarrassing fact about yourself. So if you know me, I am not embarrassed by virtually anything. I will sure. blast. I will blast cheesy songs. I'll do whatever. I I am almost impossible to embarrass. But I tried. When I think of this, I try to think of what might other people find embarrassing. And one, I guess, what would be embarrassing fact about me? Salicata at SNY wouldn't find this embarrassing. But right over there, can't see it. Um, I collect wrestling figures. Something I've done since I was a kid, and I have uh, little glass cases with wrestling figures standing in them. And I think a lot of people might find that childish and embarrassing, but I think it's awesome. And yeah, I I don't know. It's it's hard to think of something embarrassing because I'm not embarrassed about anything about myself. That one's really not bad. I mean, I would put it at like sixty forty, maybe sixty percent yeah. are like, oh, it's childish. But I mean, you know how many wrestling references we've thrown between us. Yeah. So I personally. Don't mind it. Um, it never outgrow your childhood. So, but hey, there's somebody out there that will. So violation one, not too bad for Joe. Let's see if he gets to violation number two. This one I, I'm really fascinated by because I can't tell if it's just a quick fad or if it will carry on throughout the year. How long will the pitch clock um, conversation essentially extend to Joe where it's, let's be real, it's the number one thing in baseball circles right now, whether it's the highlights of how a game might end or the changes it's all is it too long is it too short is it all these different things it will affect this pitcher will affect that pitcher how far into the season do you think we go 
where the conversation around the pitch clock is just the number one, number two, and number three three thing around baseball? I don't think – I'm actually interested. I think it's going to be two to three weeks to start the year. Like I think the beginning of April, they're going to really focus on it and talk about it ad nauseum, and then it's going to fade away throughout – May, June, July, and August. And then I think it's going to creep back up in September. And they're going to say, how will the pitch clock impact pennant races? Because now these games mean a little more than, you know, a Wednesday night in June against the Pirates. Now you're talking, you know, mid-September against the Braves. So I think it's going to be just a couple weeks early on, a lot of talk about it. Then that'll fade away and we'll circle back at the end of the season and they'll talk about it in playoff uh, words. Joe, at the near half-second mark, he, he escapes again, folks. How does he do it? I think so, too. I think it's one of those things where it's so jarring to us because we've never – most of us, obviously, have not witnessed this before. It, it Guys are getting used to it. This is the time of year where if you're going to have the violations, do it when it doesn't count. Don't do it for the regular season. So I think a month into the season, everybody will be over it. And it'll be fine. And that ends our trial by pitch clock conversation. Joe, you had one violation. I, I'm not going to give myself too much credit. I think it was much easier for me on the follow-ups to be really quick because whenever I got close to the end, I could just throw the next question at you and get out free. So it's um, an, but, It is an undeniable yeah. fact. I am the Nomar Garcia para of the Mets pod. You keep switching those gloves and stepping <laughs> out and taking all the time you want, and we love you for it, my friend. A reminder, you're listening to the Mets Pod. Subscribe to the Mets Pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. All right, Joe, you said it at the top of this show. The mailbag, if you go on at PSL to Flushing, where Joe's Twitter uh, resides, the conversation was consistently about Ronnie Mauricio. And it just goes to show you anything can happen in spring training, but we're going to, we talked a lot about Mauricio. We're, we're going to get in plenty of other topics purposely for the mailbag. And this first one comes from Dylan. Somehow we barely talked about this player at all. Dylan asked, why hasn't Alvarez caught at all so far? I would think right now would be an optimal time to catch the big league guys in a spring training game setting. It is funny. Francisco Alvarez, I felt like I was fighting all off season with the fan base as to why Francisco Alvarez didn't need to be on the opening day roster. And he just hasn't done anything yet, you know, in the early going in spring to kind of change that conversation. But as far as catching the big league guys, I feel like that's a WBC thing because Omar Narvaez is going to be leaving for the WBC. And I think they wanted him to get as many reps with the big league guys because he's surely going to be on the opening day roster. So they wanted him to get the reps with the big league guys before he steps away and isn't catching anyone that's on the Mets team. And I think you'll see Alvarez catching some games during that span. That makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes, you know, it's a dangerous game we we can play in prospect type. And, and Joe, you've seen it, you know, for, God, what, a decade plus now of different prospect type and how it works out. And we've often talked about this on this show. We live in the era and I think it really started with the NFL draft, of course, the NBA draft for a while, but it's the instant gratification era. Right? It's the instant impact era where not outliers, but there's been a handful of guys that at such a young age have come in and been able to play at such a high level or even dominate before. And there's been splashes of that in baseball, especially in this era where whether it's the Acunas, the Tatis, obviously Soto was one of the what he's done in his start to his career as such a young player, 1920 at the time, 
is unprecedented. And I think we forget sometimes Francisco Alvarez, I believe, just turned 21 years old. Right. So it's sometimes and, and Buck Showalter is obviously the right man for this approach. Managers and the Mets who have invested so much into player development, they would know where a guy should be on a certain timeline might not want to overload a young player because the Mets are not a franchise anymore that's looking for a savior, right? They went out and got Omar Narvaez to hold the four to catcher. They like Tomas Nito a lot as a rotational platoon kind of player when need be. I think, Joe, we just live in a different era of Mets baseball where it's not always how fast can we do something, but how can we do something the right way? Exactly. And they want to emphasize defense, too. Like we've heard Billy Epler say that we've seen Buck Showalter say that all spring that defense now matters for these prospects. They want to make sure they're ready, not just offensively, but defensively, because if if they're hitting around triple A pitching, that's great. That's probably good for their confidence. Uh, But you need to make sure that when you're putting them out, especially on a contending team, you know, this isn't the the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cincinnati Reds that are not looking to contend this year. When you put Brett Beatty at third base, you put Francisco Alvarez behind the plate. They have to be ready to play those positions at a big league level in addition to hits. So I think they're taking the pragmatic approach of making sure they check all of the player development boxes that they need to, to be considered big league ready. And then that way, when you're bringing these guys up, you're bringing them up for good. Like you're not bringing them up and they're shuttling back to AAA because they weren't ready for this or that. And I think while that may be not as exciting for the fans that want to see these guys every day, I think they're thinking big picture of, you know, Alvarez is 21. He's going to get ready as a catcher, the Mets believe. So if that means he's ready in a few months, then you wait a few months and then you're set at catcher for hopefully the long term. Absolutely. And another thing to keep in mind is as much as fans and and everybody wants to see a young player, young top prospect come up and dominate, there's a side to this too where, and I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth, but veteran starting pitchers don't think like that. Veteran starting pitchers are, give me the pro that's reliable. We're trying to win a championship. It's kind of what you hinted at, Joe, where it's not a developmental team. It's not an up-and-coming team. This is a team that thinks they're ready and ready to roll. So it's nice that the Mets have veteran insurance in front of Alvarez, and it's nice that when he's ready, the time will be right, and and they'll do what's right by him and what's best for the team. And it's kind of a good transition to something you hinted at for our next question, which is from Mets11111, who said, I made this account to ask this question because my normal one is private. So we appreciate the effort to get a question on the show. And listen, you delivered, so we deliver. How much more important will a catcher's ability to call a game be with the new pitch clock? Last year, it felt like Bassett shook off six calls before each pitch, which doesn't seem possible anymore. So we did did a lot of pitch clock talk. We talked about Bassett. But just overall, we we talked about the hitters, Joe. We talked about the pitchers. We didn't talk about the catchers at all. What do you think the trickle effect is um, on the catcher in this situation? I think it will have an impact especially if the pitcher doesn't want to wear the pitch com thing on their glove. Like Max Scherzer is uh, wearing the pitch uh, the pitch com uh, system on his glove. So if the time's going down, he could call a pitch he's about to throw and then it'll trans uh, transmit to the catcher and then he throws it. Uh, but if there are any pitchers that aren't comfortable doing that, then the, the pitch calling from the catcher is going to be even more paramount because you don't have time for the 
six shakeoffs, though that kind of just feels like that was Chris Bassett, right? That that felt yeah, like well, him, that wasn't but, the standard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was kind of Bassett, but in general, I would say if they're wearing the pitchcom on their glove, I don't think it's going to have a drastic difference. But for the ones that aren't comfortable with that, it's going to put an extra emphasis on making sure you get shake off. You get like one shake off. Otherwise, that's it. So you better have that game plan in line. All right, we'll close out the show with by far the most fun mailbag question we got. This one is from Milo, who asked, you're road tripping from Port St. Lucie to Queens with three Mets. Who's riding shotgun and who's sitting in the back? Coaching staff and broadcast crew are fair game. That is a right. really good yeah. layer here, Joe. I feel like I would have Edwin Diaz ride shotgun. Because wow. okay. I think he he's going to be fun. I'll I'll give him the. You let uh, him not do music. Oh, he could control the music. I think uh, he'll bring some vibes to the ride. I feel like you have to have Buck Showalter in the back seat. One, <laughs> yeah, he'll love he that. Could, <laughs> he could tell he could tell stories for days, and I Do feel it. like he'd be and I feel like he'd be the funniest like a uh, backseat driver, like he'd be yelling at the cars that cut you off or uh, asking people, "Have you ever heard of a blinker?" Like I could just picture Buck just screaming from the back seat. And then throw Keith back there. I mean, oh man. Oh, my God. You've Ke- created chaos. Seeing Keith. Look, it's a long ride from Port St. Lucie to Queens. It needs to be entertaining. Sure. I can't I can't be riding with, uh, I don't even know who would be like a quiet, subdued kind of guy. But I'd be having an absolute ball on that 20-hour or so drive with uh, Keith and Buck bantering in the back seat. Could you imagine them going back and forth? And me and Diaz just kicking it in the front. I think uh, I think that's a good car. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of strategy to this. Like a lot of people, I think, would go, well, I just want to be in the car and get to talk to Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor. And I applaud you for that. Like they're they're probably my favorite two Mets. But I think I'm trying to think a strategy for this. You need really, really positive attitudes and people to be um, responsible or reliable. I think in the backseat, I'm going to have Brandon Nimmo as one of the guys because Nimmo is – like you might run out of gas or take a wrong turn or, and then I was like, ah, oh, everything's fine. Like it's like, you don't, we'll, we'll still get gonna, there. It's okay. Yeah. You need to make sure whoever's in the backseat, like you got to realize, you know, to be honest here, you picked two older guys for the backseat. They are going to complain at some point. They're going to become frustrated with, with whether it's your driving. Um, I mean, you know, I, that it's taking too long. I'm just being honest. Buck Showalter. And yeah. Although they would, they would have so much conversation that they might actually be entertained by one another that you'd never even hear from them. And it would just yeah. be you and Diaz picking the music. So I'm going with Nimmo to keep the positivity in the backseat. One of my shotgun partner is Gelbs because I need reliability. I need stability. I love Gelbs. He is exactly that for our jets desk. That is a ship that I don't think anyone else in the world can drive or steer the right way. So I need a navigation hand. I need a hand for basically when we're going to stop, where we should stop, how to get there. So Gelbs is my is the shotgun partner. He's the responsible one. Nimmo is absolutely the positive attitude. He's not going to tell me how to drive from the back seat. I don't think. But at some point, I, I do need to add, I think, some some fire to this or at least some energy. So I was down to two people. I was down to Jeff McNeil and Eduardo Escobar. And I have to go with Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar is the most entertaining Met. And if you are listening to this, and when you get to the end, 
you haven't subscribed to the Mets pod, subscribe to the Mets pod. But besides that, watch Eduardo Escobar mic'd up at spring training. The man is the most entertaining human to put on a Mets uniform in quite some time. So I think I'm going to roll with me and Gelbs, Brandon Nimmo, and Eduardo Escobar. And we could stop a Fogo at some point on the way. There's got to be a Fogo at some point on the way. That's a heck of a car. And uh, just don't let Gelbs control the music that, that much. I know. No, 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 no. He's just doing navigation. <laughs> I, I'm a, if I'm driving, it's my music. That's it. That's Fair just enough. how it goes. Yeah. Fair enough. So you're going to listen to Narco 7,000 times. Cool. I do. Road, yeah. I already do. And that's great. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't need Edwin Diaz for that. Some more spring training on deck. World Baseball Classic coming up. Uh, obviously a huge impact it has on the Mets. And, and we are going to be covering that through. It'll be kind of fun for us, Joe, because we, we're a little spoiled on this pod where our upcoming episodes, we get to react to some of the best of the Mets playing in pretty high impact games. I mean, these guys, the world baseball classic means a lot to these guys. And then we still have everything going on at Port St. Lucie for the actual Mets team. So with a lot of head, what are your closing thoughts on today's show? Lots to come and really excited to talk this time next week. And maybe everyone won't care about Ronnie Mauricio if he doesn't get a hit for the next week or something. So uh, excited to do that. And I'd be hard pressed to let you go because if, if you're watching on YouTube right now, uh, you could see Connor's in a hotel room. He's, He's in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. And Connor, if we suit you up in the Combine gear, which drill would you excel the most at right now? Vertical, I think. I think the vert, the runner-ups, the bench, I'm not running fast in the 40. Uh, I, can't, I would have a horrific three-cone. I don't even want to think about what my change of direction is right now. I feel like I feel like my hip flexors would just shatter. Uh, I could still bench 225, and I can still jump high enough. Not doing the broad jump. We're not going for distance. We are just going vert. God, I'm trying to think if I've left that. Don't put me through any drills. I don't want to be put through any any drills. Interviews, I think I'd be an entertaining interview. Medical, no, I'd be shot. They'd be like, ah, medical red flag. This guy's body is completely cooked. He's shot. So, yeah, let's rank it with the vert, the bench, the interviews do not let me do anything else while I'm here in Indy. Don't even let me do that stuff. It's just if I have to, because Joe asked. Love it. Love it. No, really excited, really excited to keep going here with spring training. And like Connor said, make sure you subscribe and uh, we're going to be on top of the QBC spring training, everything coming over the next couple weeks. And before you know it, it'll be on to Miami for opening day. That's exactly right. And one last reminder to subscribe to the Mets pod, Apple podcast, Spotify, SMYZ YouTube, Watch our clips, of course, on SMY social handles as well. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next week.